What is up, families? Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor and the author of Pre-Med Mondays. Both books are available on Amazon.com, so make sure you grab a copy there. And you're listening to the Black Men and White Coats podcast, a place where black male clinicians have the opportunity to share their story with the rest of the world. I'm excited about today. Today, I've got one of my great friends, Dr. Adeleke Adeshina. He and I have been friends for several years. We've done a lot of mentoring work together. When I launched Diverse Medicine, he joined early on with the team and did a lot of our education work. As you will learn during this episode, he's a phenomenal teacher, has his own test prep companies. He's had them for years and has been doing very well with them for years. You know, this is going to be a great story about just overcoming and persistence and not giving up. This is one of those stories where at every step of the way, somebody's being told, no, you can't do it. However, they keep on pounding and pounding and pounding through till boom, they get through that wall and they make it. That's Dr. Desh in the story, okay? So I want you to pay close attention to it. And there, there's so, so much to gain from it. It's so rich, even beyond the things to deal with medicine. And what you learn very, very quickly is that he's an expert storyteller. So the same way he teaches his courses is the same way he tells the story. He's very lively, very vibrant. He pulls you into the story so you feel like you're there along the journey with him. And I love that about him. Right. That's the idea behind these Black Men and White Coats podcasts. We want people to tell their stories so you can feel like you're there with them. That's why a lot of these things I don't really do the interviews. That's why I let them tell their own story, because I want you to go along the journey with them, walk alongside of them, be in the story with them. Let them narrate their lives to you. That's what this is about. Okay, And Dr. Deshner does an absolutely amazing job doing it. And you're going to love what he has to say. You're going to love what he has to say. All right. And I should mention, this is actually an old recording. Dr. Deshner did this previously in the past and I was getting ready to do a session with him because he's one of the guys I can call on when I need something and likewise he calls on me when he needs something so I said hey I think your story is great we got to tell your story do you mind doing this episode and then it came to me hey you've already done one of these <laughs> you've already done one of these you've done such a great job I'm just gonna go ahead and throw it on the podcast so that's what you guys are hearing right now a phenomenal story and you guys are really gonna enjoy this so before we get into it quick reminders Black Men and White Coats Summit will be taking place February 16th, 2019. You can register. Um, visit us at www.blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash summit. And then from there, you can register for this event. We hope to see you guys there. And remember, subscribe to this podcast, share this podcast, tell your friends. All right, guys. Now, introducing you to my boy, my guy, phenomenal teacher, excellent doctor, emergency medicine, Dr. Adeleke Adeshina. My name is Dr. Adishina. Today I shall be talking to you guys about how I became a physician. The reason why I wanted to share this story with you guys is because I want to inspire another person who is interested in becoming a physician. Now my decision to become a doctor started when I was younger. I was about seven to eight years old when I noticed the chickens that my father told me to be taken care of, they actually started to uh, have problems seeing in the morning. And I said, wait a minute, why can't this chicken see it? And I looked at the side of their eyes, balls, and I noticed they had like this huge mass. And I was a little bit worried. In fact, I was actually skeptical. So I said, well, I'm not going to let out those chickens, which I've been raising for a while, let out them, let them out in the public, and then they get hit by a car because they can't see from the other side of their eyeball. 
with the mother and the little chicks. So what I did is actually I took a little pin, took out some of this little uh, abscess that's actually around the eyeball, and I was a little scared because um, after washing their eyes with water, the chickens actually stopped moving, and I thought I'd kill them. Like, What's my father going to say? But later on, eventually during the course of the day, the chickens actually got up and they started to move around. And I was very, very inspired because I said, for the first time in my life, I actually did a little mini invasive procedure on little chickens, uh, saved their life from being hit by a car uh, in the neighborhood. And this was in Nigeria. And that inspired me to say, wait a minute, if I can do that to chickens, imagine what I can do to human beings which whose lives are even more valuable and then as i started to grow up i had an allergic reaction to dairy products and what i noticed is that i couldn't process dairy so i, I developed anaphylaxis to it so that gave me more motivation i said wait a minute i want to find the cure to my anaphylaxis why can't i eat milk products when my other siblings can't so that became my second motive and eventually the third motive was my, when my grandmother developed alzheimer's at the age of uh, 92, and I couldn't understand why she lost her memory, what exactly was wrong with her, and I really felt that I couldn't help much, despite the fact I have no medical knowledge, and I was about probably 12 to 14 years old at that point in time. So all these three combinations together, and my interest in science, motivated me to start my path towards choosing medicine as a career. Now. I moved from uh, Nigeria and came up the way to the United States and obviously looked for a better life and also to pursue my career path to becoming a doctor. So let me tell you what exactly happened. So I started in a small school. It's a private school called Bloomfield College. And when I actually started there, I was doing pretty well. I started my freshman year and I met my advisor. And when I walked into my advisor's office, I said, Ma'am, I, I came from Nigeria and I want to be a doctor. And she laughed at me. She said, what do you mean you want to be a doctor? Do you know what it takes to be a doctor? Have you ever taken the MCAT? Do you know what the healthcare system in America is like? I said, ma'am, I have no idea. But all I know is I want to become a physician. She said, becoming a doctor is one of the most difficult things people ever do in this country. Plus, you don't even have a green card. I said, well... That's beside the point. I came here to this country because I wanted to become a doctor. And that's the reason why I'm here. She was really shocked. And just a side note, people are going to tell you no. A lot of people are going to turn you down. They're not going to believe in your dreams. And only you are the only person who has that dream in mind. No matter how far that dream looks ahead, you have to believe in yourself that you can do something. So that was my first obstacle, my pre-medical advisor, who's supposed to help me in the process of getting to medical school, but actually playing me down and actually discouraging me from the process. And here's even the funniest part of the story. She said, in the last five years, nobody has gone to medical school in this college. Well, that's one bit of information. I said, well, I guess it's going to be my turn to change the course of time. In the last five years, nobody has gone to medicine. So here I am. So I told her, well, here's what I'm going to do. Why don't you tell me the courses I need to take? I don't care about the NCAT right now. I don't care about the healthcare system at this point. I'm a freshman in college. Tell me the first step that I need to do so I can prepare myself for this career path. So she said, well, 
you already missed the first uh, semester of college in terms of not taking chemistry, which means you are going to have to wait for another whole year before you start chemistry one. I said, ma'am, listen, give me a chance. I want to start chemistry two. And if I even get a C, pull me out of the course. She said, absolutely no. I'm like, I got a 3.5 GPA last semester. She said, well, that doesn't mean anything. You took math, English, and biology. I'm not impressed. That was my second obstacle. So I said, well, I don't want to spend five years in college. I want to spend four years in college and graduate on time so I can get to medical school. So I started taking all the classes. And at the end of the semester, I got a 3.9 GPA. So I went to back to my advisor's office and said, listen, look at my GPA. I've taken anatomy and physiology. I've taken calculus one at that point in time. And she said, oh, well, I'm impressed. Maybe I should have allowed you to take that chemistry course. But guess what? You're going to start with chemistry one now. I said, okay, but guess what? I'm going to be changing the rules from now on. I'm going to take charge of my life. I'm going to start to make my own schedules. I went into my brochure in college, went through all the courses I need to take to graduate. And I actually went through everything, highlighted it and mapped it out. And I was able to figure it out to graduate in four years. And by the time I got to my third year in college, my advisor said, you know, you should think about becoming a double major. I said, really? Well, as long as I graduate in four years, I don't mind. So I was able to do biochemistry and general biology combined together. And so the courses overlapped and uh, keep moving on. So most students often take the MCAT in their third year of uh, college which was my anticipation, but I remember my advisor telling me how difficult this exam is. One of the hardest exams you're going to take. It's a standardized exam. It's a screening test to get people into medicine. And if you don't do well, you can get into medical school. I said, well, we'll see. But she told me something. She said, you got to work on your English. Okay. The verbal passages in the MCAT are very difficult and you have to read fast. Answer them in a very efficient manner and move on. And she told me to start reading Time Magazine. I, I tried. I think I picked up one or two of the Time Magazine. Ah, they were too boring for me. I was more interested in science. Mistake number one. Okay. So I'm from Nigeria where I speak English, but it's not the same level of English expected on the verbal exam. So I wasn't aware of that. So as I was chugging along, I got to my spring semester of third year and I had a huge load of courses to take. I was taking uh, biochemistry uh, one, biochemistry one lab. I was taking organic chemistry one and organic chemistry one lab. I was taking physical chemistry one and physical chemistry one lab. I mean, it was probably one of the hardest times uh, in college and I was still working as a tutor and as a substitute teacher and while still preparing for the MCAT. Very, very challenging semester. I will never forget. So, I didn't really focus much on the MCAT during that time. And I said, during the summertime, I'm going to start preparing for the MCAT full time and I'm not going to work. So I spent from um, about April to end of August, mid-August, uh, was my blocked out time to study for the MCAT full time. And I did. So I called my friends. I said, we're going to go to the library and we're going to read all day and we're going to study. So I chose... Uh, exam crackers to study for my board uh, exam, which is the MCAT. And I remember when I was studying for my MCAT, uh, we, we we had gone to class and they told us it's a 
It's a review course. I didn't know what a review course is. And I think a lot of students probably don't even know what a review course is. So this summer classes that you take, the Kaplan, MCAT, Princeton review courses, what they mean by the word review means you read the material during the day and in the evening when you actually come to class, you just got to go over the highlights. So they expect you to read. And then when you come in, you just come with questions. They go very briefly within 45 minutes. So even if you don't understand the laws of motion, you better have read it. And when you come to class, they explain it to you in a little short detail. So my first week in class, I was very frustrated. I thought it was this was college courses. I thought I was going to come into the class and somebody's going to actually read the material, go over it. And what I found out was within 45 minutes, they're going through the first chapter in physics 101. And they're talking about, oh, we're going to do some review questions. And I said, wait a minute, you didn't explain everything I need to know from the beginning to the end. You just chose a few things. So that was mistake number two. So after about four five weeks into the course, I got really frustrated because I wasn't really prepared uh, in the morning as much as I should. But by the, obviously by the fourth or fifth or sixth week, I started to catch up. So I tried to read a little bit more. But I started to notice a pattern. I was struggling in verbal. I mean, big time. I hated verbal. The passages were boring. I could not stand them. And I never could finish reading them. And I didn't know that was going to be a big detriment to my uh, me when I was studying for the course. So I was literally focusing more on the physics, the chemistry, the biology, because I'm like, you know, I can score pretty good on those. Uh, maybe the English, not that, not as much. So... We started to go to the library every day. We'll go to the library, take our buses, and then we'll study from literally 8 o'clock to about 4 or 5 in the evening. So we'll kind of break it apart. By 5, we start an MCAT review course and with the exam crackers, and then we go home and eat it in the evening. And we kind of did that for like a good 6 to 8 weeks. So about halfway through, I started doing practice questions. And I took my first plastic questions and I remember scoring about a four on my verbal. Score maybe like a nine on biological science, about a 10 or so in the physical sciences. And I saw my deficiency. It was very obvious. You are doing poorly in verbal. And guess what I did? I ignored it. I said, mm, I think I'm going to get better. Well, there was this book known as 1001 Passages of Verbal. I could not get through it. I didn't even want to finish it. And I just kept focusing on my biology and chemistry. And we keep taking more and more uh, practice tests from the WMC website. And I noticed every time we do the verbal, number one, I can never finish the passages. I run out of time. And by the time I get to the seventh passage, the hour is done. I saw this. It was obvious. I still ignored it. Despite all these alarming signs, because I was a naive pre-medical students who think I could beat the system. So by the final week of the my exam date approaching, I mean, nobody to give me any good advice. I took my verbal test again, and I noticed I was scoring consistently between a 2 and a 6. But I needed at least a good 10 or 9 on the verbal so that if I'm even scoring a 10, 11, or 12 on my physical and biological sciences, I can score a good 29 or 30 on the exam, but I kept ignoring it. So, you know what I said to myself? I said, hmm, you know what? On the exam day, by the stroke of luck or magic, I'm going to score a 9 on the verbal. Well, clearly I wasn't doing well. And if I had to do it all over again, 
if I had somebody to give me words of advice, I would have listened to them because I saw my weaknesses before before taking the MCAT exam, and I was scoring actually between 21 and 27, roughly. I think that was my highest score at that point in time. And I said, well, I scored 27 once. Maybe that's what I'm going to get on the test. But my average was falling consistently between 22s and 24s, but I still went ahead and took the test. Now, let's take a minute. I'm going to give you a good advice now. Don't do what I did. If you're not scoring the number you need to get to do well on the exam, when you take those standardized exams, they are very clear-cut and accurate and precise. It tests your level of knowledge compared to other people. And if you score in 19, 15, don't expect to go and take the test and score 30. It will never happen. You know the people that score 30 on the exam? When they take their practice test, they're scoring 33s, 32s, 29s, which means when you actually take the exam itself, you're going to fall into the plus or minus five or four range, which means let's say you're scoring 25 on your practice test. You, because of anxiety and some other factors on the exam day, your scores actually probably might drop two, one or two points from what you're scoring on the practice test. That's why I tell students, practice, practice, practice. Now, if I had to do that all over again, what will I have done? I will have studied and did thousands of questions. I did not do enough questions and I'm admitting I let you you know right now mistake number four. Okay. So don't do that. The more questions you do, the more you can see different ways they actually test you on the real exam. That's how it works guys. You know, and if you're struggling on verbal, now let me tell you what happens to immigrants when they read verbal passages. So immigrants whose language is not primarily English when they read a verbal passage, what they, what you actually do, at least what I do, for example, is I'll read a passage and translate it into my native language and then put it back into English. And there's about all this moment of translation, transcription in my brain to actually process the English that I'm reading on the paper into my native tongue and then back into English. That is called a waste of time. Because clearly what happens when you do that is you've got five minutes to read a whole 600 words passage. And you have about another five minutes to read and answer all the questions. By the time you're translating, then if I don't understand what it's saying, I go back to the passage and read it again. Those are all time wasters on the exam. And the only way, the only way you can get better at this verbal is by reading and comprehending as fast as you can. And the only way you can do that is by doing it more, okay? You know, they said repetition is the mother of all learning, okay? It's the father of action and the architect of all accomplishment. That was by Zig Ziglar, which means the more you repeat something, the better you get at it. If you repeat it less, the less you get at it. And now, remember, don't ever ignore your weak portions on the exam. I see hundreds and hundreds of thousands of students every year, they clearly see their weaknesses, and then they rush to take the test. That's what I did. And I'm going to tell you my actual score. The first time I took the MCAT, I got a 21. Wow. I was devastated. I said, oh, my God, I can't get into medical school with this. I'm screwed, right? That's what everybody says. I said, well, I guess my advisor's uh, discouragement speech that I got in my freshman year is finally going to come to pass. 
So I was really sad. I said, well, I want to become a doctor. I want to get to medical school. So what am I going to do? Well, after I got my score, I went to my, I have another advisor, Mr. Wright, God bless his soul. And uh, he was an advisor at one of the medical schools. Uh, and I went to him. And when I got to his office, I said, sir, I did poorly in the MCAT. He said, what's your GPA? I said, my GPA is pretty good. I have a 3.9 GPA. He said, well, that's a really good GPA. So I had an excellent GPA, but here my MCAT numbers are horrible. So he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, listen, your score is low. If you could have scored a little bit, maybe 27, I mean, you know, you probably have a chance. So he said, you have two options. Go back and take that exam and focus. Read like you've never read before. Put in 120% of your time. Okay, don't just be sitting around on Facebook, Twitter, and there was no Twitter back then, but basically for you guys that are studying today, don't be sitting around, you know, texting and talking on the phone and wasting your time while you study for this exam. This is an exam that's going to change the course of your life forever. Take it as if it's the, as if your life depends on it. So he told me, well, you can go back and take the exam and do well and come back and reapply. Or you can apply to a DO school. I said, oh, I did apply to a DO school. Granted, I didn't know anything about DOs. He said, they're doctors of osteopathic medicine. I said, oh, I'm from Nigeria. I just want to become a doctor. Are they real doctors? He said, yeah, they do everything. Just exactly what an MD does. I said, oh, well, then sign me up for it. He said, I want you to go to the medical school yourself, give him a call, and check it out. So I remember walking out of his office, dejected. I was down. I said, well, I didn't have a lot of money to apply to medical school. I, I applied to 12 medical schools from the little money I borrowed for my student loans, and now I've got pretty much all rejection letters. So now here's a caveat before we move on to how I got into DO school. So that the school that I'm talking about that I actually applied to was really next to my house. And I said, I, you know, I did a summer program there. I thought I was going to be able to get into that medical school. And I remember sitting down in front of the admissions, uh, the dean of admissions. And I brought my MCAT score and I brought my GPA in front of him. And he looked at me straight in the eyes and said, listen, your MCAT is the biggest problem for me getting into medical school. And I'm sure a lot of you have heard that speech before. And I remember trembling in front of him. I'm a lowly, you know, third year pre-medical student. And he said, well, you're, you're pretty good in biological sciences. You're pretty strong in physics, the, 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 in chemistry, but you're really poor in the verbal aspect. And based on studies, I've shown that students that don't do well on the verbal often do poorly on the USMLE. And I remember those words like it was yesterday. And I said to myself, but the USMLE exam is clinically based. It has nothing to do with verbal. I can read. I can understand physical sciences. And I'm sure a lot of you feel the same way. You know, you say to yourself, this verbal makes no difference. And this MCAT exam clearly cannot define what it takes to become a great doctor. You're absolutely right. Let me tell you the reason why you have the MCAT exam. Well, the MCAT exam is designed as a screening test. Okay. They, it's because there's so many students applying to medical school. And there's thousands of students. And there's only a few medical schools in the country. So whether you went to Harvard, Yale, Stanford, or you go to a community college or a private college, the only way medical schools can screen people out is to use a standardized exam. Now, granted, remember, 
where you study really makes a difference. If you go to a very challenging college or undergrad, they're going to prepare you a lot because they're going to force you to read, do some analytical thinking skills. You're going to learn some creative thinking skills. You get a lot of skills that might help you, might or may help you, not necessarily allow you to do well on the exam, but because you, they push you harder, it might even allow you to do well. Now, I did a lot of self-learning myself. My school was a pretty good school. You know, my professors were very great. They taught very well. But granted, I was just weak in the verbal aspect of the exam. So clearly it has nothing to do with the college I went to. So I did a lot of self-learning. So I tell a lot of students that during your preparatory process of preparing for the MCAT, always remember that there are thousands of students applying to the same spot. And you have about a two to three percent chance of actually getting into one medical school. So when you do that number, that's not to discourage you. That's supposed to inspire you and say, you know what? I want to be part of that two to three percent. I don't want to be part of the 97 percent. The 97 percent group are the people that fail the exam and give up on their dreams and their hopes of as an aspiration of becoming a physician. But that is not your choice. That's not an option. Okay. Losing is not an option. Okay. The people that quit are losers and you're a winner. So in my mind, I said, I'm a winner. I want to become a doctor and that's it. And nothing can stop me. I know a lot of students told me, you know, you should think and consider nursing, pharmacy. I said, no, I came here to become a doctor and that's why I'm here. So I remember the dean telling me how I cannot do well on the USMLE exam and I was devastated. I was shocked. I was very upset. And he said, well, they're not going to be able to offer me admission. So I walked out of his office and I made a promise to myself that if I ever get into medical school, I am going to do everything that it takes to do well on the USMLE exam and be the best doctor I can be. So I saw my advisor, which is at the same medical school actually, and I went outside. I remember sitting outside on the porch, picking up my phone and calling the DO school that I applied to. And I said, hey. My name is Adeleke, I'm a pre-med student, and I would like to come visit your school. So here's a caveat. If you're applying to medical schools, I want you to go visit these medical schools. They want to see your face. They want to see that you're interested. You're not just a number and a piece of paper. You're just not an MCAT score. You're not just a GPA just lying there. You're not just somebody who's full of commuter service on a piece of paper. They want to see the person. So I remember driving my mom's car, and she drove me all the way down there. And we went to South Jersey and I went to the school and it was a beautiful campus. I walked in there and I walked into the admissions office and I met the admissions officer and I said, hello, ma'am. My name is Adeleke and I want to be a doctor. Here are my numbers. I scored a 21 in MCAT. I have a 3.9 GPA and here's my college. And she looked at it and she said, you know, we looked at your numbers. We're going to give you an interview. I could not believe it. I'm like, what, what, what do you mean? Uh, uh, you're going to give me an interview. He said, well, we'll see what we can do. I'll give you a phone call. So she gave me a call that day and said, yeah, we're considering you for an interview. Now, remember, an interview doesn't guarantee that you're going to get into medical school. But that is your golden ticket. That is your ticket in. Remember, there's thousands of applicants that are screening away. And the reason why she gave me an interview is because she said, your GPA, I remember her saying, your GPA clearly is outstanding. You're just not doing well on the verbal aspect of the MCAT. So you are a strong candidate. 
So we are not just going to look at your MCAT. We are not just going to look at your GPA. I've done a lot of community service. I did research. Um, I did a lot of volunteers. And she looked at my overall application. And I said, we are going to give you a chance. So I remember going back to college and I saw my pre-med advisor and I said, ma'am, I got an interview, one interview. And she looked at me and said, but that doesn't mean anything. It doesn't mean you're going to get into medical school. I don't know what you're excited about. I said, I'm excited because somebody's giving me a chance to listen to what I have to say. And you won't believe it. I said, if only one person in this world can give you a chance, and I'm talking to you right now, all you need is one opportunity to prove yourself to somebody so they can give you a chance of success. And I, I wasn't discouraged at all. I said, well, you might think that I'm not qualified enough because my NCAT score is not the top notch you've seen. And you might think that I don't have a chance, but I'm telling you, I'm going for that interview. I'm going to blow it out. So I start to go to work. Okay. So I called my friend. And I said, listen, I need to come coach me on interview skills. I'm not great at interviews and I want to go to that interview and blow it out. And my friend came to my school, had a list of questions, probably like 20 to 30 questions. And we will sit down, dressed up exactly the same way I was going to dress up on the interview day. We'll sit in a room and he'll go over these questions with me. He will ask, him, ask me the questions, I'll answer, answer, and then he will give me criticism, he'll give me constructive feedback and say, listen, you have to give, make proper eye contact, give a good handshake. Also, when you are talking, try not to use a lot of um, you know, go straight to the point and only answer the question. And if you don't understand the question, tell them to repeat it. Okay. So he gave me a lot of tips and it made me a better, better prepared for the interview. When I got to the interview, I had my speech made, everything prepared, and I was ready to blow the interview out. So I went to the medical school, to the DO school. And when I got to that seat, the, the, the person that was interviewing me was asking me all these questions. And I answered all the questions they asked me appropriately. And because I have prepared myself, Remember the word, prepare yourself. I see a lot of students, they have interviews, they don't prepare themselves, they don't rehearse questions or even answers, and that is a big mistake, okay? When you go for that interview, be prepared to answer all the questions and also have questions for them. So I remember after I was done, I asked them all the different questions as to, you know, do they have clubs on campus? How involved are the students in the community? What, you know, do they have other extracurricular activities or are they just studying on campus? How strong is their class in study, you know, their board scores? How do they do well on the USMLE and the complex exam? Uh, I asked all of these questions because that shows you have a vested interest. And I did tons of research on the school myself. I went on their website. I tried to get in contact with some of their students so that I can answer all the questions. And I look like a rock star. So after I got an interview, I went home. And I didn't know how I did. I, I didn't know they were going to call me back. Uh, but I did write a thank you letter and I gave it to the admission, uh, committee before I left to thank them for giving me an opportunity to interview at this school. That's another caveat that you need to know when you're interviewing. Okay. That shows like you're thankful and you also remember to give back, uh, to these schools, not just, you're just not a number. So. About a month passed, I didn't hear anything back from the medical school, and I said, well, maybe I'm not going to get in. I start to doubt myself, just like everybody else. But I remember coming back home, uh, it was like a, it was a Tuesday afternoon in September, and I was coming home real quick to grab my lunch 
and go back to her and I got that phone call. And I said, hi, is this uh, Mr. Adesina? I said, yes, how can I help you? She said, hey, hello, my name is Paula. I'm from uh, UMDNJ School of Osteopathic Medicine. I'm like, how can I help you? She said, what are you doing right now? I said, well, I'm preparing my lunch because I have to go to work. She said, I just want to let you know that you've been accepted to medical school. Oh, my God. I yelled. I screamed. I ran up and down. I rolled on the floor. I could not believe what I just heard. I said, say that again, ma'am. She said, congratulations. You have been accepted to medical school. I, I started to cry, literally. I, I was ecstatic. I could not believe it. You know, I've worked so hard for the last three and a half years. And somebody gave me a phone call and said, I have been accepted. I was shaking. I didn't know how to take the news. I said, is this real? I'm like, are you sure? <laughs> she said, yes, you've been accepted. I just want to, you know, congratulate you. And we're going to be sending you a letter in the mail. You're going to see a package. I didn't even hear the rest of what she was saying, quite honestly. But I was overwhelmed with joy. The reason why I was overwhelmed is because I've heard a lot of no's up until that point. People have told me I couldn't do it. People have told me, you know, you don't have a chance. You know, I've heard so many people doubt me. And when I got that acceptance letter, it was the best thing. I remember running out of my house. And when I got to the bus station, I was actually kneeling down on the ground at the bus station, just thanking God. And I said, God, I thank you. I can't believe this. And that overwhelming feeling still sticks with me to today because I realized all I needed was one chance. All I needed was one opportunity. So a lot of people ask, how did you end up in DO school? Well, that is how I ended up in DO school. I applied to eight MD schools and four DO schools. I got rejected to 11 schools and only one school gave me a chance. I actually took the MCAT again. But when I took it again, I didn't actually put in a lot of work into it because I was very discouraged. I was upset. I ended up scoring like a 22 the second time around. But it was kind of too late because I already actually got accepted into one school. And that's how I ended up in a DO school, and it was the best DO school I ever went. It's called UMDNJ, but it's now called Rowan School of Osteopathic Medicine. Now, the reason why I'm sharing this story with you is because I don't want you to be discouraged, okay? Now, the story actually does continue as I got into medical school, because I remember those words from that dean of admissions that told me that I'm not going to be able to do well on the USMLE exam. And it rang on to me to this day. And I said, I'm going to prove them wrong. So what I did was I got to medical school. I started to study my butt off. I was doing very well. I was getting honors and you know, high passes in my classes, you know. And I took the USMLE exam and I took the COMLEX exam. So in the DO schools, in DO schools, you take COMLEX, which is Comprehensive Osteopathic Licensing Exam, and the USMLE is United States uh, Medical Licensing Exam. So... I took USMLE Step 1 and I took Comlex Level 1. I scored very well on my USMLE Step 1 and I scored really well on my USM, on my Comlex Level 1. And I didn't stop there. I went ahead and also took USMLE Step 2, which is basically what the MD students take. And I took my Comlex Level 2 and I took my Comlex Level 2 PE, which is a physical exam component, and I blew it out of the waters. Now, you would think I stopped there. Well, 
somebody told me I couldn't do something. And I said, I'm going to be motivated more than enough to show the world, yes, I can. I went ahead and published a book with my friends, uh, Dr. Taha. And it's called How to Prepare for the Medical Board, Secret for Success in the USMLE Step 1 and, and Complex Level 1. And this book is, was actually written by uh, both of us in third year of medical school to actually teach people how to study in the USMLE exam. So not only did I do well on the USMLE, con con uh, on the contrary to what I was told when I was in college that I could not pass the exam, I did more than well enough and I wrote a book with a colleague of mine published it's on amazon it's on audible and we also have an audio book version of it that hundreds and thousands of people are using across the world today and i didn't even stop there i went ahead and launched a company that's helping students study for the usmle exam to study where i make online videos that a lot of students see me on youtube today because i'm motivated and passionate about education and helping other people and that was my vow after I got into medicine. I was going to help as many people get to their dreams because so many people helped me along the way. Now, my pre-med advisor, when she heard that I got into medical school, she was very happy for me. Although she couldn't believe it, she was very happy. She helped me with my application process. She wrote me letters of recommendation. But she doubted me for a very long time. But eventually, I finally broke through and she accepted me and said, you did it. I'm proud of you. And those words meant a lot to me. And I went on to medical school to do extremely well. Now, eventually I graduated from medical school. And after taking all those board exams, taking five board exams before I graduate, remember, MD students will take one uh, USMLE, step one, step two, and step two C CS. And that's it. I had to take the complex level one, level two, and PE on top of that. So that's like five board exams. Well, I ended up graduating and matching to an allopathic residency. And that was my journey in a nutshell. That's how I end up becoming a doc. Now, why do I decide to share all these details with you? The reason is because during the course of your lifetime, when you start to make that decision from high school, from college, and saying you want to become a doctor, remember you're signing up for a big task. As soon as you say that, the people around you are going to tell you, wait a minute, do you know how long it takes to become a doctor? It takes about 11 to 17 years. That is a long time. Well, that is their time perspective. I didn't see it that way. I saw my dreams and I know if I work hard enough, long enough, and somebody gives me a chance and an opportunity and I don't give up, I'm going to make it. And I want you to do that same confession in the process when you start to choose that path because it's the, it's the path of highest resistance. And most people in life go through the path of least resistance. They want to do something that's easy. Well, becoming a physician is not easy. It is hard. It is difficult. But you know what? Nobody told you it was going to be easy. Okay? If you're going to have people's lives in your hands, it's not going to come easy. You're going to sacrifice hours, thousands, 10,000 hours of your time, reading nonstop, giving and sweating. But in the end, it's really sweet. The compensations are absolutely wonderful. You're going to live a great life. And I want you to remember that do not give up on your dreams. Don't, don't ever let anybody talk you out of whatever you want to do. I don't care if you want to be a doctor, a lawyer, aeronautic engineer, mechanical engineer, astrophysicist, astrophys uh, whatever challenging career you decide to pick. Even want to be a teacher, stick to your dreams, stick to your plan, okay? Surround yourself with the people that are like-minded just like you. I surround myself with a lot of great friends that help me, give me advice also as the time goes on. 
ask questions, okay, and read. Read like you've never read before because someday that knowledge is going to save somebody's life. And that's why we do this. And the gratification of standing at the bedside and leaning your hands on the patient and telling them it's going to be okay just because you have a doctor next to your name and the fact that you can use your medical knowledge to save somebody's life is the most gratifying feeling in the world, okay? So, word of advice for you, learn from your mistakes. You're going to make a lot of mistakes and things are not going to come easy to you, but in the end, everything is going to work out, okay? Don't give up. Don't give in. Even if you fail the MCAT once, twice, three times, don't give up. But remember, don't keep making the same mistakes. If you fail twice, find out exactly what am I doing wrong and keep working hard at it, okay? The people that are called experts in the world are called experts because they are putting thousands of hours trying to master the same subject over and over. That's why they call them experts, okay? The MCAT is not going to... It's it's not it's a it's a make or break test, but don't let it define you. It's just a number, okay? Once you pass that exam, it's your gateway into medical school. And once you get in, believe me, it's a one way street. You're gonna do it, and you're gonna do it really well, okay? Thank you so much. So, although I got into medical school with a lower MCAT score and a higher GPA, this is not necessarily true for a lot of medical school today. I got into medical school in 2000 and uh, 7, 2008, and I was able to matriculate in 2008. Now, me get personally getting to a DO school with a low MCAT score does not undermine that DO schools take a lower MCAT score compared to MD schools. But like I said, just to reiterate that they looked at my overall application, and that's why I was given an admission, okay? And I proved myself during the interview process and now today, DO schools are actually more competitive to get in, and every student is different. Every school always tells you there's an average MCAT score they take, and when everybody matriculates to your class, you don't know what people scored, and nobody tells you uh, how what they actually got on their MCAT or their GPA. You just know everybody's on the same leveling playing field. So that is why I'm sharing this story with you, because if you find out you're not getting accepted with a low MCAT score, it's because things have changed a little bit from when I took the MCAT and also the amount of students applying to medical school has definitely skyrocketed in the last seven years. And now medical school is more challenging and more competitive. But granted, notwithstanding, I still want to encourage you not to give up on your dreams of becoming a doctor because all you have to do is retake the exam and do very, very well in the MCAT and also make sure you maintain a very good GPA. If your GPA is too low, you can do a post-bac or do a master's program to prove yourself to these medical schools that you can do better. But mine could be an exception to the rule, but I know there's still a lot of students out there that's still not doing as well as most people would expect. And not, don't think that everybody has to get a 40 or 35 and a 3.9 GPA to get into medical school. Medical schools looks at the entire curriculum and they look at also the ratio of males to females. It's also racially divided, believe it or not. Uh, medical schools really believe in a lot of diversity. So they want to make sure they not just fill the entire class with just, you know, Asians or uh, Caucasians. Make sure there's a little more diversity in the class because when you get to the healthcare system and you're taking care of patients, you know, you're going to take care of, you know, you know Puerto Rican, African Americans, you know, Caucasians. There's so many diverse patient population and you're able to connect more if you have more diversity within the healthcare system. And that's why medical schools are pushing very hard to make sure there's more diversified 
uh, classrooms today in medicine. But remember, you cannot give up on your dreams of becoming a doctor. You can't let anybody talk you out of it. And even if you're not doing well up until what you need to do, you just got to work extra hard until you make your dreams come true. Hope my story is able to inspire one of you guys and don't ever give up. Thank you so much, Dr. Deshna, for that lively and exciting journey to medicine. The way you just told the story and the way you you put it all out there was amazing. I was captivated the whole entire time on the edge of my seat trying to, even though I know you made it already, I was still trying to figure out, is he going to make it? Is he going to make it? And how is he going to make it? So that was just a great story, excellent storytelling, even beyond just being a doctor. If you guys haven't seen any of Dr. Deshna's videos, so I learned about him years ago. Just on YouTube randomly, but I think I Googled on uh, YouTube something like heart sounds. And he was the first video that came up on YouTube and he was just crushing it. And then I watched one video and I was like, wow, this guy is an amazing teacher and he's very lively. He's very engaging and he pulls you in. Excellent teacher. You know, that's why he has all these test prep companies now. And the other thing I want to point out to students is you can see how in medicine you can be more than a doctor. You see how Dr. Deshina took something which was a, you know, it was necessary for his success. It was learning for these tests. He had to study for this test and turn it into a passion. He found his passion of teaching and he coupled that with what he had to do, which was learn for these tests. And they turned it into a company. His companies do very well right now. He's written books. So look at him beyond just a doctor and think about him as somebody, when you're thinking about, you know, who can I emulate to be more than a doctor? Dr. Deshina is that guy that you want to look at. Okay. So thank you so very much for being on our show, Dr. Deshan, that was amazing. This is a story of drive, a story of determination, a story of persistence. He did not give up every step of the way when he was challenged. He rose above and conquered. So that's what I want you guys to think about. And he told you this throughout the whole the whole segment here. Rise above and conquer. Rise above and conquer. He never let anybody hold him down. The MCAT didn't hold him back from making, making it right. His teachers told him, oh, you can't take this class. Didn't hold him back. People tell him he's not going to be doctor. Didn't hold him back, right? Have that confidence in yourself because you can do it. Just like he said, don't give up. You can do it. All right, guys. And if you'd like to learn more about Dr. Deshina's various test prep programs, visit ftplectures.com. F is in Frank, T is in Tom, P is in Paul, lectures.com. Again, he's an excellent teacher. Just YouTube him. You'll see some of his excellent teaching videos there. A quick sample of what he's got to offer you guys. I know the actual course stuff is much better than that, okay? But if you're somebody who's needing test prep help right now, definitely check that out, okay? He's got some great stuff for you. All right, family, just a few reminders here. Black Men and White Coats Summit, February 16th, 2019. Make sure you register. Go to blackmenandwhitecoats.org backslash summit, and you can register there. Don't forget to click that subscribe button. Make sure you subscribe to these podcasts. Support the podcast, all right? Um, really appreciate you subscribing and sharing the podcast. Help get the word out. We are on a social mission here to change the narrative and to impact lives, not just for black men, but for all individuals. I believe when black men do well, other individuals, other populations will do well also. Thank you guys for listening. If you have any questions to the pre-medical students, you know where to find me, premedstar.com. Just find me, send me a message. I'm always there. Do my best to help you guys make it all right. Love you guys, and I will see you next week. Shh.